Uh, Many years ago, when our youngest daughter, Megan, was in junior high, I was one of the chaperones for her and her friends as they rang bells for the Salvation Army in front of a local grocery store. For over two hours, they sang every Christmas carol they knew. It was fun watching shoppers come out of the store with these like sour looks on their faces. But when they heard the carols of Christmas, they immediately started smiling. One commented, this is the best thing I've seen today. Another said, this makes me happy. At least three individuals started dancing. Many sang along with the songs. One woman came out of the store and immediately started crying. She came over to the kettle and put some money in the bucket and thanked the girls. And then she moved about 10 yards away and kept crying. She came up again and put some more money in and started smiling. When, she, when we found out it was her birthday, the girls serenaded her with happy birthday. She cried some more and put some more money in the bucket. <laughs> During this entire time, the girls took only one brief break, and when they were gone, I rang the bell, and the shoppers went back to being grumpy <laughs> and Grinch-like with their money. The girls came back and told me they had been asked to sing inside the store. As soon as they cranked up the carols, the smiles returned and the money started flowing again. I just slithered into the background. You know, it's a good thing I'd never been asked to sing during the offering or we'd never have enough money to turn the lights on. (laughs) Many of the central characters in that first Christmas story responded to their part in God's plan with these expressions of protracted praise, with jubilant worship. And their original lyrics are recorded in Luke's gospel, and they find their roots in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. During the month of December, we've been in a series that we're calling The Promise. We've been using four words to summarize Christmas— Promises made and promises kept. And we've been moved to worship as we've considered how prophetic promises from the book of Isaiah, written 700 years before Jesus was born, those promises have been fulfilled with pinpoint precision, and we've been observing those through the characters of the Christmas narrative. Our topic today is joy shared, and we're going to look at that from the life of Zechariah. Here's our main idea. God gives joy to those who believe in Jesus. But in order to set up this song from Zechariah, I'm going to invite you to turn in your copy of the scriptures to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 34. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one as our gift to you. Uh, We'll also have the text up on the screen. And before I start reading, you'll sense the tone is not a very happy tone in this passage. Listen now as I read beginning in verse 2. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations. And he's furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction. 
He's giving them over for slaughter. You see, because God is a just God, he judges sin. According to verse 8, there's a day of judgment coming, for the Lord has a day of vengeance. Verse 10 adds, for those who don't believe, judgment will be everlasting. Night and day, it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. This past week, after seeing sin celebrated in our nation's capital, it made me wonder how much longer it will be before God unleashes his judgment on our country. Have you ever wondered that? I was reminded of this quote from Billy Graham. He once said this, if God doesn't soon bring judgment upon America, you'll have to go back and apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I was reminded of something Pastor Chris taught a couple weeks ago. He was teaching on the topic of joy to our students, and it was on a Wednesday night. So before he taught, I said, what are you teaching on? He said, I'm going to teach on joy. I said, that's great. We all need joy. On Thursday, I asked him how it went, and he said, well, actually, I spent most of the time talking about judgment. And I said, really? He said, yeah, because when we were done talking about judgment, the students understood joy. They were ready for some good news. Which reminds me, many years ago, a pastor started a brand new church, and I love hearing when pastors start new churches. There's some new churches in Rock Island. I'm big fans of those guys and pray for them and encourage them. Well, this particular pastor, when he started his church, wanted to know from the Lord, what do you want me to preach on? And usually in a brand new church plant, you want to address some things that are going on in the community, perhaps, maybe some felt needs that some that people are wrestling with. This pastor spent an entire year preaching through the book of Leviticus. (laughs) This is a brand new church. Many of the people in this church didn't know Jesus yet, and he's taking them through Leviticus. Well, if you know anything about Leviticus, There's a lot of sacrifices, very descriptive sacrifices. There's a lot of blood shed from the animals in the book of Leviticus. And the the deal is God's a holy God, and he demands payment for sin. When he finished speaking and preaching through the book of Leviticus, that next Sunday, he gathered his new church, and they celebrated the Lord's Supper together. And the church wept. They just wept with joy because they understood it. They understood that Jesus is the final sacrifice that he paid with his blood. He paid the price for all of our sins and it's once and for all. There's no more need for bulls and goats to be sacrificed because Jesus is the final sacrifice. You see, they had joy as they realized their sins were forgiven through the blood of Jesus. Now, chapter 34 of Isaiah pictures everlasting judgment. And I can't wait for you to hear chapter 35. Because in Isaiah 35, God promises everlasting joy for those who've been restored and ransomed and returned to him. 
You see, prophecy in the Old Testament often dealt with a near future event. In this particular chapter, Isaiah is saying God's people are going to come back from exile. God's going to restore them. But he also, in his prophecies, is talking about future fulfillment, as we'll see in the first coming of Jesus, and some of these prophecies have to do with his second coming. Now, in contrast to all that judgment, listen to this good news filled with great joy from the very next chapter. Listen now to Isaiah chapter 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Verse 10, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness And joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Those words, gladness, rejoicing, and joy can be translated as this intensively great rejoicing with a jubilant celebration. Oh, did you notice singing will replace sighing? Gladness will come in the place of sadness. It's interesting how Isaiah, which is a book filled with sorrow and judgment, also has many verses describing singing and joy. I've selected just three, Isaiah 12, verse 6, shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 24, 14, they lift up their voices, they sing for what? Joy. And what are they singing about? Over the majesty of the Lord, they shout from the west. Isaiah 51, 11, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. Now, let's hold on to that, hold that thought, and let's fast forward 700 years. Imagine If you lived without any message from God, no Bible, no preaching, just silence from above. Sadly, that's how many choose to live today. But since the time of Malachi, that's the last book in the Old Testament, until this setting, there had been no voice from God. 400 years of silence, 400 years of God's people waiting for his promises to be fulfilled. And during these silent years, some of God's people held on to hope. Others were stuck in ritual and routine. They're just going through the motions. Others are like, I'm done with it. They turned their backs on God and immorality became rampant, sin was celebrated, and spiritual life among God's people had lost its vitality. Kind of sounds like America today, doesn't it? If you'd like to follow along, I'm going to retell the narrative as recorded in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 20. A priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth lived during this time of sorrow and sighing. 
If we could color their lives, they would be gray and gloomy and the sky would be cloudy. They had another silence in their life because they were beyond childbearing age and they had no children. See, at that time, infertility was considered a curse. Zechariah was a priest. Elizabeth was a PK, a priest's kid. They tried to live a blameless life, but they'd not received the blessing of a baby. Jewish brides were taught to have a large family in the hopes that the next son born might be the Messiah. Their unmet desires had led to unspoken despair and a sense of deficiency. I wonder right here in this room or those engaging online, some of you are living with silent pain right now. And it might be the pain of infertility. Or it might be the grief of a miscarriage or more than one. You are not alone. There are others here at Edgewood who can help you process that pain. Or maybe you're grieving the loss of a son or a daughter, a spouse, a grandchild, a parent, a grandparent, a friend, or a sibling. We offer a group here called Grief Share. It meets on Sunday afternoons. Or maybe you're wondering how your teenager could turn out to be so rebellious or how your finances went south so quickly, or why your marriage has ended up in such a mess, or maybe you're single and you just ache to be married. And like Zechariah, you've been waiting for an answer, but heaven has been silent. Well, in a state of humiliation, hopelessness, and helplessness, Zechariah is about to hear some words he could hardly believe. See, he served as a priest. There were some 20,000 priests back then. And two weeks of the year when his division was on duty, he would travel to Jerusalem for his temple responsibilities. This time, he was chosen by lot to go into the temple, into the holy place, and burn incense right outside the curtain of the holy place of holies. This is quite an honor for him. You see, the holy of holies is where God's Shekinah glory was made manifest. This was a once in a lifetime opportunity, a huge privilege. Jewish tradition taught that the priest who did this would be rich and holy for the rest of his life. So Zechariah arranged the incense. He offered prayers of intercession for the people. And as the smoke from the incense shielded his eyes, he thought he saw someone in there with him. And suddenly, he's face to face with an angel. And fear fell upon him. I wonder if he was thinking about what happened to Nadab and Abihu when they carried out this ritual in a wrong way and they were vaporized by God. You can read about that in Leviticus 10. The dangers of his duty were well known to everyone. He is in a holy place, the holy place. The idea was get in, offer incense, pray for the people, and get out as quickly as possible. But then, on the right side of the altar, which was considered the side of favor, the angel Gabriel appeared. And his initial initial message had two parts. First, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Second, your prayer has been heard. They were going to have a son. Isaiah, or verse 14, links us back to the promise of joy from Isaiah 35. Listen, and you will have joy 
and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Verse 15 explains what kind of man he would turn out to be. Verses 16 and 17 describe the message he would preach as the long-foretold forerunner to the Messiah. One of his tasks was to bring people back to the Lord and to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and to turn the hearts of children to their fathers. That's a reference to some of the last verses in the book of Malachi. That's a good word for us, isn't it? We need a revival among dads that God would turn our hearts to our children and God would turn the hearts of our children to their dads. Well, when Gabriel told him he was going to be a father in Luke 1.18, Zechariah immediately asked for some sort of sign. He says, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. That's a nice way of saying Elizabeth was old. <laughs> Zechariah is really saying, I can't believe it. I am an old man. That's a very emphatic statement. In verse 19, Gabriel responded by using that same emphatic expression, I am Gabriel. <laughs> I stand in the presence of God. Now, Gabriel's no ordinary angel. He's like God's top gun angel. He's the archangel. He appeared to Daniel in chapter 8 and chapter 9 and later would appear to Mary. It's as if Gabriel was saying, you might be an old geezer, but I'm Gabriel. (laughs) And I stand in the very presence of God. Don't you think God can handle this? Well, on one hand, Zechariah's question seems valid. He and his wife really were very well past normal childbearing ages. On the other hand, he should have known better. Well, he was too busy asking questions and focusing on problems to really hear Gabriel, and now he would have nine months to listen. We see this in verse 20, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. It's interesting. Zechariah had asked for a sign, and now for nine months, he had to use sign language to communicate. Someone has wondered what the greater miracle is here, Elizabeth having a baby in her old age or a preacher keeping quiet for nine months. The people now wonder what happened to him because he can't talk, and according to verse 62, it's likely he couldn't hear either. He's going to be a new father, and he can't tell anyone. By the way, in the midst of all the Christmas madness, all the endless commercialism, don't let the cacophony of competing sounds and voices keep you from hearing the true meaning and music of this season. We need a way to figure, we have to figure out a way to slow down and be quiet. If we don't, we're going to miss the message of Christmas. What do you think you would learn if you couldn't speak or hear for nine months? Or how about nine weeks? Or nine days? Or nine hours? Or nine minutes? For some of us, it'd be tough to be silent for nine seconds. Well, nine months later, 
their baby was born, and the whole town was filled with joy. I'm in verse 58, and the neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they, here's the word, rejoiced with her. Another version says they shared her joy. They celebrated while Zechariah is still silent. Until eight days later, the whole town comes out for the circumcision ceremony. That's where their son would enter the covenant community and be given his name. And everyone assumed his name would be Zech Jr. or Zeke or maybe Zach. Instead, Elizabeth insisted he would be called John. Now, that's very shocking because the firstborn son was almost always named after the father or a relative. So Zechariah asked for an iPad. I mean, it does say a tablet, okay? And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. In the original, it's even stronger. This is what he said, John is his name. I love what happens next. The song in his heart that had been silent for nine months explodes with this pent-up praise. And the first words he says are not directed to his wife or to his family. He doesn't talk about sports. He doesn't talk about the weather. He doesn't even talk about what he saw in the holy place. His immediate response is this exuberant, like, eruption of adoration. This is a fulfillment of Isaiah 35, verse 6. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The one who was formerly mute is now making music. And Zechariah had been unable to speak, and now he can't stop singing. The neighbors are filled with awe, and all the shoppers started smiling at this one-man caroler. By the way, this is a perfect example of how God's discipline does not disqualify us. This time of silence for Zechariah was really an act of mercy, not judgment. So filled with the Holy Spirit, Zechariah breaks out into this praise. It's filled with prophecy. I think of the song, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold your Savior come and leap, ye lame, for joy. Zechariah couldn't help but sing as he realized the miraculous birth of his son would be part of preparing people for the coming of Messiah. And one thing we learned from the Gospel of Luke, which has more references to singing and praising than the rest of the New Testament combined, is how we too must sing because of the good news of great joy. God gives joy to those who believe in Jesus. Listen now to the lyrics of this song. I'm going to start in verse 68 and then drop down to verse 78. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Do you see the word visit used twice? 
The root means to visit personally. It was used by Jesus when he said, I was sick and you visited me. God saw us in our sin sick state and he didn't just leave us there no he made a visit he sent his son to come and visit he saw us in our bad situation and then he personally intervened and provided a solution now I should move on but I can't because I see another connection to Christmas the word visit can be translated as to tent upon to tabernacle, John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came and set up his tent, if you will, here. That's what happened at Christmas. Jesus personally visited us and dwelt with us in order to save us from our sins. At the incarnation, he became Emmanuel to be God with us to save us from our sins. So as Zechariah looked down at his baby boy, he knew that help was on the way. Somehow, his son would prepare the way for the one who is the way. The long wait was now over. That song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, sums it up well. This song that he sings is all about God coming to earth. Nearly every phrase in Zechariah's Christmas chorus is filled with biblical references, especially from the prophets. Here are five specific facts about the divine visitation. Number one, Christ's coming provides salvation. Zechariah mentions God's saving in four different ways. Redemption, he's visited and redeemed his people. Salvation, a horn of salvation. Rescue, that we should be saved from our enemies. To rescue us and forgiveness. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Secondly, as he sings, he's singing how Christ came to fulfill prophecy. Notice these three stanzas. Promised by the prophets, cherished by the fathers, and he goes all the way back to Abraham, guaranteed to Abraham. Number three, Christ's coming gives us purpose. He talks about serving, that we might serve him without fear, and sanctification, that we would grow in holiness and righteousness before him. God gives us grace so we can live for his glory. God blesses us so we can bless others. We've been saved to serve. This past Tuesday night, I had the joy of watching a team of servants, a team of women's ministry servants and our mainspring ministry. That's our young adult ministry. They work together on Christmas curbside. And I don't know the exact count, but right there underneath our overhang there, Around 100 cars showed up throughout the night. And in those cars, in the trunks and back seats of those cars, were items that had been purchased for those in our community who were in need. And I greeted as many people as I could. And one thing I saw in everyone was how generosity leads to joy. Everyone who pulled up had a big smile on their face. Even the Grinch showed up and started leaping with delight. 
You see, the Grinch is even smiling. Little backstory, and we were as we were planning this, one of the ministries we partnered with was Youth Hope. Youth Hope ministers to kids in Rock Island and in Moline, works closely with the schools. And last year, last couple years, we provided presents during this time of year, but Youth Hope wanted to do things differently because in the past, some kids got a lot of gifts and others not so many gifts. And so they wanted to standardize it. And they said, hey, if you could uh, raise some money or allow people to give money toward these gifts, we'll purchase identical gifts for everybody. We said, well, that sounds like a great idea. So for $50 a a child. And Sheila Kershack told Youth Hope, well, I think we could see God bring in about $2,000. And after she said that, she came up to me and she said, "Uh, I don't know if I should have said that. (laughs) Well, See, that $2,000 would help 40 boys and girls for Christmas. The end of the night, $2,600 came in, and we were able to come alongside 52 boys and girls. There's so many good things in that night, but one of the things that hit me was the vehicle that was collecting items for our domestic abuse shelters. There's one in Moline and one in Davenport. That vehicle filled up first. And Heidi Olson, a member here, delivered those items. And, well, this is a picture of all the items that came in. This is actually only half of the items because there's another shelter that she made a delivery to. But she sent me a note. Listen to this. It humbled me to see the joy on their faces, and it saddens me when they tear up over a pair of socks. Church, thank you so much for your joyful generosity in coming alongside those in need in our community. That's why we're here, right? We're here to grow in our faith and to go with the gospel looking for needs that we can meet. Number four, Christ's coming will be prepared by John. So Zechariah continues to sing. He sings joyfully and he utters three predictions about his son. He'll be a prophet of God He'll prepare the way of the Lord. By the way, if you're following the Edgewood Bible reading plan, the reading for today is in Isaiah chapter 40. I read this early this morning. Listen to verse 3. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That passage is quoted in Luke chapter 3 to describe the ministry of John the Baptist. The other thing, the third thing that John the Baptist will do is he'll preach forgiveness. This is exactly what John did. His whole mission was to make the nation ready for the coming of Messiah. He was a prophet. He was a preparer, and he was a preacher of salvation. I find it fascinating. There's only two verses in this song This entire song about Zechariah's own son, John. The rest of the chorus is all about the Savior because this dad recognized the subordinate position of his own son. Parents, this is a very good challenge for us. You see, Zechariah was good with John not being number one. We need to train our kids to be servants, not to think that they're the best 
or the brightest, that they're a prince or a princess who's entitled to everything. No, that's not how we need to raise and train our children. We don't want them to grow up thinking life is only about fulfilling their own needs. We need to teach and model that they are created in the image of God and they are to live for the glory of God alone and put Christ first, deflecting attention from themselves to the Savior. And so one of the purposes of our parenting and our grandparenting is to help our kids see their role in preparing others to come to Christ. We would do well to mimic John's life mission, John 3.30. He, referring to Jesus, must increase, but I must, what? Decrease. John was focused on being second. Actually, he focused on being last, and Jesus first. He prepared people for Jesus' first coming. As we decrease, we can point people to the deliverance Jesus offers so they're ready for his second coming. Perhaps this acrostic is one you've heard before, so I'll just stir you up by way of reminder. Joy, Jesus, others, you. It's a good order to keep in mind. Number five, Christ's coming brings blessing. So he's got one final burst of praise. He speaks of three great benefits. Light to those who are in darkness. Pardon, pardon to those condemned to death. And guidance to those who've lost their way. God gives joy to those who believe in Jesus. Well, let me suggest some action steps that you and I can draw out from this song. Number one, keep praying no matter how long you've been waiting. Don't lose heart. Keep seeking the Lord. Number two, find some silence and some solitude, especially this week before Christmas. Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. Number three, increase your generosity. If you're feeling crabby this Christmas, if your joy tank is low, intentionally increase your generosity. Listen to Proverbs 11.25 in the New Living Translation. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. You see a need this week? Ask God how you can help meet that need. You see somebody struggling, come alongside them. Number four, point people to Jesus. Let's decrease so Christ can increase. We've been talking about inviting people to our Christmas Eve services. There's three options. I hope you're doing that. There's extra invites out in the lobby. Grab some, put them in your car. Uh, We're encouraging families to come and sit together for that service. We're going to have a surprise special element at the end of the services. We won't have nursery or children's ministry. um, Or uh, also on Christmas Day, we won't either. And that'll be a separate message on Christmas Day. I'll even talk to the pastor about preaching a shorter message. (laughs) No, this time it will be shorter. As I was preparing yesterday, I got uh, a text. A group of eight students and young adults, 
I don't know what the rest of us were doing yesterday morning, but they were meeting on the lower level right under that section for some evangelism training. And they were learning about how to share their faith with people. And then they drove over to North Park Mall where they spent time sharing the gospel with people there. Uh, This is a picture of those who went, and let me just tell you a little bit about them. On the bottom left is A.J. Langworthy. He's our youth assistant. Um, And next to him is Hannah. Hannah was out in California, supported by Edgewood this past summer, receiving training on what other religions believe and how you can witness to them. And she received some excellent training. She led that time of evangelism training yesterday. Next to her is Marissa. On top of other ways Marissa has been trained, she recently went to a a conference on theology. On the bottom right there is Emma Janicek. Is Emma in? in the service here today? Yay, Emma, could you just raise your... There's Emma, yes. Emma was serving in Mexico for like six months. She's now home and seeking the Lord for what her next steps will be. Uh, so Emma's had a lot of training. On the, on the back row on the left is Sadie Armstrong. She's still in high school. Um, John Langworthy, among the many things he's benefited from, I know he was at the Cross Conference. You have Nick Fry, who's been to Summit uh, a couple times as a student and has been on staff at Summit out in California. That's a world view training time and he's been on staff there and then we have Maddie Gray Maddie has also attended the cross conference and so Maddie wrote had such a fun time sharing the gospel at North Park Mall today we had Hannah teach us and then we went out and applied it afterwards we shared our stories of who we talked to the people we prayed for it was such a great experience we want to keep doing it Hannah wrote, we split into different groups. We went to different parts of the mall. I think everyone got to share the gospel at least once. Hannah said that her and AJ uh, tried to share with a woman who owns her own store. She's from Africa. She was very busy, and so as customers were coming in, they decided to leave an invite for the Christmas Eve services. And Emma got to share the gospel in Spanish with a group of Spanish speakers. Everyone had a great time, even in the face of some rejection. So here's why I'm sharing that all with us, because those of us who are older have a tendency to look down on the younger generation. No, no, we can't be doing that. We need to look up to what they're doing. In fact, 1 Timothy 4.12 says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Students and young adults, thank you for setting the example for people who are older than you. Let's just give them a hand. Number five, if you've not been saved, you need to give your life to Jesus. Give your life to him. Number six, start singing more. Years ago, when we were young, the Christmas devotional we used as a family suggested a song for us to sing. It was a song none of us knew, and so we really struggled to sing it. That made one of our daughters say, Daddy, I've never heard you sing, except at church. 
Well, Beth knows I'm usually too shy to sing, and so Beth helped me out. She said, Brian, just let your inhibitions go and sing. Take a deep breath and belt it out. To which this one daughter said, I don't want to be here when he does that. (laughs) Hey, maybe you're like me. I don't have a good voice. I know it. Those around me know it. And sometimes I'm too shy to sing. Let's just be done with that. The Bible says make a what? Joyful noise. Some of you sing with joy. I sing with noise. But let's sing. And I'm committed to sing with joy if you'll join me especially if it will increase our offerings. (laughs) All right, I'm going to invite you to stand. God, thank you for this reminder of joy that is ours. For those of us who know you through the new birth, you've given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of you, and you've called us by your own glory and goodness. So, Lord, we don't have to go seeking joy or make joy up or work hard at it. No, instead, we need to be in a submissive position for as you are number one. Lord, you've given us joy. Now help us to live that joy out. The freedom, the forgiveness we have because of what you've done on the cross, Jesus. Lord, as we scatter from this place today, would you use us to bring joy, the message of peace, the message of joy, the message of Jesus to those we come in contact with. We pray that you would use us for your glory In your glory alone, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Have a good rest of the day.